Welcome to the Grant Writing Simplified Podcast. This is the place to learn how to make a big impact in your community through grant writing and nonprofit consulting. The world needs you to step forward as a grant writer and use your skills to lead with confidence. I'm Teresa Huff, former special ed teacher turned grant writer and nonprofit strategist. In my 20 years of freelancing, I've helped nonprofits triple their funding and exponentially increase their reach. Now I'm stepping up to mentor freelancers and nonprofit leaders like you who are ready to take your skills to the next level. It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. Hey, my friend, are you ready to learn grant writing, but you have no idea where to start? And you're frustrated because you don't have anyone to ask. You're wondering things like, how do I find clients and how much do I charge? Should I work for free? How do I market myself as a new grant writer? How do I make my grant application stand out to funders so I can actually win some grants? You feel like everyone else just knows this stuff, so why can't you seem to figure it out? What if you could start your career as a confident, knowledgeable grant writer? Imagine sounding professional when approaching a client or a grant funder. Imagine having a big impact on the world around you. Fast Track to Grant Writer is an eight-week live small group coaching and mentoring experience. This is everything the books won't tell you. You'll get hands-on guidance, feedback, and accountability that will literally fast-track your grant writing career. This program can open doors for you like never before, so you can make an impact like you never imagined. Sign up before December 15th to get a bonus one-on-one strategy session with me. Go to teresahuff.com VIP and enroll today. Let's get your career on the fast track. Now today on the show, I'm interviewing my friend and fellow grant writer, Kathy Hork. She has written grants for over a decade. I asked Kathy on as a guest because she works with several international nonprofits. But as you'll see, we'll get into a lot of great strategy and tips as we talk shop today. There are so many good takeaways in today's episode. You'll probably want to grab a pen and notebook so you can take some notes. Kathy owns KLH Grant Services, and she's a consultant with the National Christian Foundation Heartland. She works with faith-based nonprofit foundation research and grant writing. You can read her full and impressive bio in the show notes. As you listen, I think you'll appreciate her drive and ambition, as well as her heart to serve communities both locally and around the world. Welcome today, Kathy. I'm excited to chat with you and catch up. Today, share one random fact about yourself. All right. The funniest random fact that I can share about myself is that at age 62, I still water ski. I still slalom and I tore my hamstring badly a year ago, water skiing on one ski. Never happened to me before. Came right out of the top of that ski. And here I am, a grandma with three little grandchildren (laughs) hobbling along on crutches because I've been water skiing. So that is awesome. <laughs> I hope I can be a fun grandma like that someday. That is so fun. We have a beautiful lake here and it's so fun to enjoy it. We love it. That's a beautiful area. It's just beautiful. We just love it. Yeah. 
tell us about your journey. How did you get here? Tell us about your background and how did you get into grant writing? Yeah, so I, um, again, seem to do things in my older age, but I went back to college. My husband's a professor at College of the Ozarks, and I went back to college to complete my English degree when I was about 49. So I went back to school, just fell in love with being in school. Um, the the writing, the researching, um, loved, loved writing papers and really digging deep into the supporting facts and all that kind of stuff to support my um, papers and was asked at that time by one of my professor's wives if I would help start, um, they'd already started a clinic here in this area where I live. It was a clinic for the working uninsured. And she asked if I would come in and help kind of get it organized within the office and set up the papers, the 501c3 and all that kind of stuff. And I started writing grants for them. She knew my passion for research and writing. And really, that's how it started. The the whole grant writing started. The first grant I wrote was the Neighborhood Assistance Program. I think they call it the NAP grant. Uh That's a big program to start off with. big. And and I love That's huge. It was, yeah. And I don't think we got it. I think there were some underlying things that, that they had not realized, you know, had to take place before that. But we did then receive funding from Missouri Foundation for Health. And within that first year had been granted a good substantial amount of money for a first time. And it's, it set me in motion. Um, from there, I just continued to work with them and worked with them as a consultant. I went off on my own. And, and really, I am a self-learner. I mean, I read and read and read whatever I can get a hold of to just really improve my craft, to understand the grant writing, because I came into it kind of late in life. And so that's really how I got started and how I then, about 2015, I mean, I had been writing grants for quite a while now and worked with several nonprofits in this area. I worked with National Christian Foundation, which is out of Kansas City. Well, they're national, they're all over, but I worked with a small group there managing a database that they had on their um, webpage, Christian Foundation Grants. And I kind of worked with faith-based nonprofits. They would call in. I would help them identify foundations. I would help them learn how to identify foundations that would fit their mission. And I I wrote blogs and different things like that for them. And again, just learning and growing in this field. That is no longer a database, but I still receive a lot of clients through National Christian Foundation. That was kind of how I started with working with International. Would you say sometimes it's helpful to do other aspects within a nonprofit, not necessarily just going in as a grant writer, but to start it was with some of those other pieces and roles. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think that that is what helped me understand what the need was within that organization. Exactly. I mean, I was working with the patients, I was at the front desk, I was cleaning, I was organizing and, and just all the little things that had to be done working with the executive director. And I do think that that helped me a great deal because I was able to see how the executive director wore so many hats at that time. There were so many things that needed to be done. 
I watched our volunteer coordinator, how she vetted even the kind of volunteers that we wanted to have working within that clinic. Yeah, I do think that that helped me a great deal to be on the ground floor with them. And even though now I'm not directly working within one specific nonprofit, it's easier for me, I think, to understand how overwhelmed they become when they try to work on their fundraising, whether it's a capital campaign, grant writing, their donor base, any any of those aspects of their fundraising, they're just trying to keep the wheels going. And yes, I think it helped me a lot to understand. I see a lot of especially smaller nonprofits that don't have any real training or background in the fundraising piece. And that's so critical, but they step into it and are like, we don't know. We're trying as hard as we can, but we just don't know. So that's hard. They do wear a lot of hats, like you said, and it's hard for them to connect those dots with all the different pieces that are put on their shoulders. Yeah, it really is hard for them. So tell us, how did you come to narrow down and what are you specializing in now? I know you have a really unique interesting niche here that you've been working on with nonprofits. Yeah. One of my greatest passions, I think, was I was very fortunate in getting some clients. They're established 501c3s within the United States. I mean, which they have to be, but their work and their mission is is on the um, within developing countries. I have actually been to Honduras twice with a client And I absolutely loved it because again, it was like what you were saying, they were in the the role of the nitty gritty of it every single day, but they were just giving me information. And I was trying to write and submit applications for them based on their information. But when I got right down into it and was able to travel and be with the children and be with the families, and I mean, we were right in the village, right there in the villages, these children. And the focus of this nonprofit was education for these children. They had had not had established schools and it was them bringing the gospel to them. It was incredible to be there and just get dirty. I mean, just flat out get dirty and see what they lived with and how they uh, managed. I mean, they were the most joyful people that you could be around. And they were so grateful for us coming in and just providing a school and a simple school for them and um, education and the materials and the resources. And I even had my Bible study. We raised money and bought children's Bibles in Spanish for them. And I took them and distributed with with pictures. Oh, wow. Because these children had never seen, I mean, they had a Bible, but how we raise our children with picture books. Mm -hmm. They didn't have picture books. Oh, I bet they loved it. It was amazing. And it was so rewarding to be able to go on behalf of that client and distribute those to the various communities that we lived in. Of course, I couldn't give one to every child, but every single community was able to have several of them Mm -hmm. and the children could just sit and read it and to actually see the pictures Mm -hmm. was amazing. That's so much more impactful when you can see that connection firsthand and see the difference it's making 
And even just to go back and convey that to your people that donated towards that, hearing that firsthand and your excitement about it is a whole different aspect of that than just trying to write from afar. And I can say that's one thing that I strongly recommend, if at all possible, to, yeah, you can do things virtually anymore, but if you can at least make one site visit to the nonprofit, Mm -hmm. that will transform your writing. I found that makes a huge difference in the way I can tell their story and convey the needs and to really just understand it. Like you were saying, that makes all the difference. I mean, yeah, you can look at pictures, you can talk to people on the phone, Mm -hmm. but nothing can replace being there and walking through the site itself and seeing the operations. Absolutely. On one trip, we went with um, an eye doctor and ophthalmologist and we provided glasses and I mean, blown away watching these people who couldn't read, they couldn't see, they couldn't afford. And we were able to give them, he had, you know, just boxes or whatever, you know, that we laid out all really nicely, made it look all just so professional and so neat. And they'd come in and get their eyes checked. And I mean, we were able to give them a lot of them just basic readers, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to have them put them on and uh, the look on their face was just amazing. Yeah. And it's not that you have to go to Honduras or I'm working with a client right now doing amazing work in Uganda. I have not been, and I would love to go, but it's, it's the other communities. It's right in your own backyard getting, if you're going to be a consultant grant writer with that organization to get in and really see what they're doing go into them, meet with them. Because the most important thing, and you and I know this, the most important thing in grant writing are those stories, are those testimonies. Right. And really being able to tell that. Exactly. Numbers and statistics and all those things are so important. I mean, we have to think in terms of qualitative and quantitative. We do in in every aspect, but to be able to show qualitatively how behavior has changed, how children have changed, how lives have changed, mm-hmm. and to share a real story kind of gives me goosebumps even talking about it now. But I mean, that's what the funder wants to hear. Right. And that's what makes the difference. And really, there are so many things we take for granted. I mean, how easy is it to go and grab readers and people lose them all the time? And so for them, though, that was life changing to have reading glasses. Mm-hmm. So things like that are what really make that visual right. for the funder that's reading and trying to make that connection. Yes, to be able to tell them that. Absolutely. So what challenges do you find with the international grants as far as either finding grants that are a good fit or just making that connection, trying to understand their culture and what's going to be a good fit for them and then writing about it. For me, I am introduced generally through, you know, a referral to this individual that might be working in another country. And like I said, I have not traveled to every country that I've written grants for. And generally I'm depending on them to give me as much information as I can get from them to understand what their mission is there. Understanding the culture, I read a lot. Um, If I'm going to write something, I've worked with clients that doing work in Greece or in uh, a lot in Africa. And 
I generally try to read as much as I can about that. I use the um, Operation World is an incredible book that has statistics and information on every country, every country in the world. So whatever country I might be writing on, and of course you can Google anything, but Operation World just has it in a nice, concise place that I use that resource all the time. It gives fairly current statistics on population, on their needs, geographic. It gives indications into what their hardships have been, their traditions have been, the spiritual aspect of their lives. That helps me to understand then when I start to write about what that need might be. And many of the grants that I write for third world countries have to do with water and sanitation, quite honestly. Basic needs. Education. Mm -hmm. And so when I understand that culture, when I understand that in Uganda, in this small community that my client is working in, that that girls are for years have been sold into a marriage at the age of 12 or 13. When I understand that a country is being run without girls being educated and because girls don't have sanitation and water, when they start their periods, they cannot go to school. When I understand that the risk of them trying to walk to school because they're walking miles and miles to a school that they can get to the risk of them being attacked and harmed. When I understand that I can write from a better place, even though I've not met those girls or I've not been to that country. I have been in Russia. I visited several orphanages in Moldova, heartbreaking adopted a child. Our youngest son is adopted from Russia. And so I've, visited those places. When I see that, I can write from a place of understanding. That's so much more compelling Mm -hmm. to write and to read. And it makes the need that much more compelling when you can do that. Right. Absolutely. When you are considering an international grant, do you ever struggle with the language and the cultural barriers of trying to get information trying to understand and convey what you need and be able to communicate. Mm -hmm. Is that ever a challenge? It has. Yes. And I have struggled with that at times. Most of the clients that I've worked with, of course, like I've said, have a a U.S. base and these are speak English and I can, but I have at times needed to talk with somebody there. And I have had conversations with, or emailed, had transactions, you know, with people where I've really had to think about or even ask questions about a statement that they made and so that I could understand what that meant from from their culture, from what they were trying to describe to me. Yes, it has been. Most of the time, though, I'm not dealing with another language when I'm writing. And again, I'll I'll reiterate that the clients I work with have to be a 501c3 here. I don't work directly with an international organization that's not an established 501c3 here. So there's going to be an individual that I can count on to talk with that speaks and understands the culture. So you have that bridge. I have that bridge, always have that bridge. Now, when I was in Honduras, I do speak 
tiny bit of Spanish. So, I mean, I could speak a tiny bit with the people and I learned some phrases. I committed to learning some phrases so that in my role there, when the people came to me after they'd had their eyes examined, I could say something to them. I wanted to be able to, I just wanted to be able to have a heart connection with them. So I wrote some things down in my notebook and I, I might've had to keep reminding myself, but I could speak those things to them and it, just to honor them, right. you know, in their culture. Right. When I, when we went to adopt our son, we'd had him in our home as a host family. And then he had to go back to Vladivostok, which is where he was from for um, nine months. And before, you know, as we get our papers and dossier and all the funding. And when we went back, before we went back, I had met with um, a Russian student at my husband's college, and I had learned several phrases so that I could say those to him. I could tell him he loved him that we had missed him. So uh, there's little things like that that I've tried to do so that I could at least just have some kind of a connection. Right. Make it more personal. Make it more personal. But when I'm looking then for foundations that fit my client's need, that especially when it's in a third world country, I really rely heavily on the database. I use Foundation Directory Online. I love that. It's easy to use. For me, it contains, I know there's others and I have used others. This one is is just the one that I use the most and can afford this subscription on. It's hard for grant writers when you have to pay for all that. Right. <laughs> yeah, it adds up. It, it can add up. So, and you can use it at most major libraries. You can use it for free also. So right. I use that. I break down the criteria. I look specifically for that country and I look for their funding history in, from their 990. And that is how I then begin to develop a matrix of foundations that will be a fit for my client. Something you and I are learning is that there are many, many nonprofits who are determined that they are ready to begin a grant-seeking plan. But they have not considered what it really takes to develop a grant-seeking plan. It involves having the strategies and your evaluations and your sustainability plans. It means being able to articulate those. Right. And one thing you and I talked about was how foundations are becoming more and more competitive. They want to really know where their money is going. They want to have that fit. Yes. And if one of the key ingredients is not in not con- connection, whether it's geographic or mission or their, their history of their funding or their amount or whether they accept applications or not. If those aren't thoroughly vetted, a nonprofit could waste a lot of time and money by applying to foundations that are not going to read it anyway. Yes. And that's so discouraging for them. So discouraging. Mm-hmm. I keep trying to preach that over and over. It's good to hear that from another perspective too, that you really do need to look at that and set that foundation, even though it's frustrating. You want to just jump right in. Let's apply. Let's try to get everything we can. Mm-hmm. But in the long run, you'll be so much more successful if you have that good foundation first before you jump in to the grant space. Yes, And foundations yes. will sense that too. Yes, They can see prepared and who's not. They will sense that. 
we always have to remember, I read a really good book by, I think it's Tom Ahern, A-H-E-R-N, I think is his name. And it's it was called From the Donor's Eyes or Through the Donor's Eyes. It was fabulous because it just specifically talks about how the donor is a human being. Right. They are a person with money to give, but they have a passion for where that money is going to go. And I think that's really important for us when we're writing to remember that. The other thing I try really hard to do with my clients is help them develop relationships with those foundations. Right. Me too. One thing for the grant writer to call and try, I can get some basic information from them, but I'm not down in the nitty gritty of it. Right. They want to hear from a CEO or an executive director and they want to hear from those people. Right. And that's the relationship. That's where that comes in to build that trust and to see the firsthand work they're doing. It really is. Yeah, it really is. It's so important. Yeah. I've done a couple of episodes already on grant readiness and have talked about that very thing. I'll link to those in the show notes, but that's such a good point of making sure there's a person on the other end of everything. Yeah. I keep yeah. saying that over and over. I'm starting to feel like a broken record, but it's so true. No, it is so true. Whether it's the clients, the funders, the nonprofit staff, there's a person. There is a individual. And if you don't follow those guidelines, even, and I think that was why my friend encouraged me to begin working with this clinic was that I likened my grant instructions to my syllabus that I received from a professor. And I, I love, I mean, I, okay, I was old. I was older when I went back to college. And so these kids are all, you know, and I was just energizer bunny, you know, loving every minute. Of it. Good for you. And I would take that syllabus and I was so proud of that syllabus. And I would read that baby from top to bottom, you know, and I knew what it would take for me to get an A in that class. It was all outlined for me. Mm-hmm. I knew what I needed to Mm-hmm. In the same way that I look at the foundation guidelines, I look at those guidelines and I'd say, I know what it's going to take for my client to be competitive for this grant. And it's going to take these things. And if my client is not prepared with those things, then it is not time for them to apply to that foundation. Right. You can't squeeze a square peg into a circle peg. You know, you just can't force it. Right. You can't. And that's one thing I say over and over in my courses is read the guidelines, follow the RFP, check every piece of the guidelines, because that's really the core of what it comes back to is following those. And it's different for every funder. You can't just do one and assume it's the same for all of them. You have to really individualize that for each one. Individualize. And that I had a girl ask me a question one time she and I was at a workshop through National Christian Foundation and she knew I was a grant writer and and um, asked me she said you know I sent out a hundred letters to um, foundations for funding and I've not heard from any of them should I resend them should I call them and I said well tell me how you vetted the foundations that you sent this letter to Tell me how you individualized those letters to fit the mission of those foundations. Did you, you know, well, I just sent out a template letter to foundations under human services. I'm cringing. And I, and I just, 
I I was very new, but I was cringing, and I just said, um, "Human services is so broad." Uh-huh. Anyway, we know. Do they even accept? Is it within education? Is it within health? Was it within? Right, and just to think of all that time and effort that could have been spent on actual progress as opposed to that's futile really right unfortunately and I'm not trying to ditz this poor young girl who was just trying to do maybe what somebody within her organization had asked her to do sure I'm trying to make that point of this is where as an experienced grant writer we need to make sure that people understand the process right we need to make sure that they and the vetting process. Yes. And that we honor ourselves and our organization as as well as honoring the foundation, the funder, by really knowing before we send something. And it's so much more effective that way. So much more effective. That is such a good point to do that and to make sure I like the way you put that to honor them. It's a way of showing respect for the opportunity that they put out there. Absolutely. It is a way of honoring and respecting them. Yeah. Do you have anything that you would say to a new grant writer or a nonprofit that's just feeling overwhelmed and struggling? Mm -hmm. I think for a nonprofit and, and for a nonprofit who does believe that they want to start a grants program, I would encourage them to connect with a seasoned grant writer. And I would encourage them to allow that grant writer to walk through things that you and I have talked about of what needs to be in place for them to be competitive. My, you said that you have things that you're preaching to your clients all the time. I have something I preach all the time, and it's called a case for support. Sometimes it's called a case statement. Yes. Take us through that. That is the model that I believe, and for a new grant writer, somebody that they need to get to know a case for support. There's a couple really good websites that you can go to. I, but your case support for support is going to contain, and it could be anywhere from 10 to 20 pages. That is not a document you're going to submit to foundations, but it is a document that's going to house everything about your organization. It's going to have a mission and vision statement and a mission and vision statement that really reflects what you're doing, not what you hope to do or what you think you can do. Your mission statement needs to really reflect your organization. It's good, it is going to contain all the stats, all the demographics of what you're trying to help. It, it is going to contain all that, but it's going to have your need statement. Why are you even trying to do this? My, I know the need statement for my clients in Honduras and Uganda because kids are being human trafficked and countries are falling apart because... We have to have these things in place for them. So we know those things. What's going on with single moms? What's going on with generational poverty? How can we help mental illness? These are all different things that charitable organizations can solve the problems for, but why and how? And then you have to have your strategies. You have to have why the program is needed and then how you're going, what your strategies are going to be. 
bring in supporting data to help support that. What does the Pew Research Center have to say about this? You know, and I can name a hundred other resources, but what do they have to say about that? Why is that need so important? Uh, measurable outcomes. How are you going to measure those? And then your evaluation plan. How are we going to evaluate that? And we talked a little bit earlier about we're going to measure it quantitatively by the numbers and by the improvement in those things. Maybe how many blankets we gave out, how many meals we fit, but also what are the behavior changes in the lives of people that we have helped? How have they been helped? Has generational poverty maybe finally skipped a generation? Were we able to get that person even out of, of addiction and the reoccurring cycles of abuse and neglect in families? Were we able to do that? And then what are the behavior changes? You're, you're going to want to know the history. They're going to want to know a brief history of your organization. But that document, I'm looking at one from my client right now, is about 10 pages. And it houses everything I need to write a really good proposal for my client. From that document, I then, after I've thoroughly vetted my foundations, I've got them in my foundation matrix, my little spreadsheet, then I look at keywords within what is the foundation saying about them. Better yet, look at their 990 and see what they've been funding. What is their heart? What's pulling at their heart? And then you extrapolate that information from your case for support and you write to that person like a love letter, not to 100 different people. You're writing a letter directly to that organization speaking their language. Such a good point. The case for support is not a template. No. It's a, I would say it's a living, breathing document that may change and needs to be updated and it needs to stay current as a part of your organization. It's not something to create and stick in a drawer. Absolutely. It's a good reference point. That's such a good point, Teresa. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a good doable process that you outlined to just take that step by step. But you have to start with that foundation because that's going to be the core of all your grant writing projects. It really is. It's so much easier for me as a consultant grant writer, when I have worked with a client and this particular one that I pulled, I mean, some clients are just so easy to work with because they're so willing to give you that information and to edit it themselves. No, this isn't right. I always tell my clients, I'm not married to my writing. This is not about me. It is about you. If you don't like a phrase that I've used, it's out of here. I'm not going to cry over it. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, it's got to reflect them. Okay. And so but this client was so willing to look at this and it takes time. But mm -hmm. like, I mean, it might, it probably took three or four edits back and forth. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing they have to be willing. Somebody has to read that document within their organization. Mm -hmm. I've worked with other clients who don't. As a consultant, say a new grant writer wanting to work with a nonprofit, would you say it's a red flag if the nonprofit drags their feet or doesn't want to review or work with you on the information? Or is it something you should just keep pushing and trying to drag it out of them? I think I've done that before in my early years. And I wanted clients and I wanted, and I won't do that anymore. No, 
It's it's a waste of your time. It's a waste of their time. They're paying you to do a service to bring your expertise. And if somebody has to be, you have to have a contact person at that organization. I must have at least one contact person at that organization that I can say, and not inundate them. I'm not saying that. I will spend time writing out the questions I have, and then I will email them, or then I will phone them, not calling them every day, but I will keep track of those questions as I'm working through the information that they give me. Mm-hmm. And I start, okay, this is, I'm missing this piece. Oh, okay, let me get that to you, you know, or I've asked if I can talk to other individuals, and a lot of times it's been those individuals in the other countries, is there somebody I can talk with? Mm -hmm. I talked with a guy in Greece one time. That was the one I talked to. And he spoke English. Not always easy to, you know, hear. Probably not easy for them to listen to me. But just to talk with him, it was so wonderful. And then he sent me an outline of what he saw was the problem. That I can use that. I can take that. And now emotively put that in their documents. Right. And sometimes that's when you hear the most compelling stories is when you're talking to those volunteers and the people on the front lines. That's when you hear the ones that are like, oh my goodness, you're dealing with that. You have kids in that situation and that's the stuff that you can convey to the funders. Right. Real stuff, Mm -hmm. not taken from, and and census and data is so important. Right. I would never criticize that at all, but it is that raw data. Mm-hmm. You really have to have both. You have to have I just want to emphasize that for newer grant writers, it's okay to pay attention to the red flags and to watch for those things like you were saying. You said something about when you're not married to your writing. And as new writers, that's something I think we have to let go of and not be so personally attached. That yes, we want the good outcome, but sometimes that means letting go of our writing itself for the sake of putting together a good piece of project or application. I totally agree. We have to let go of our personal attachment to our own writing style. People have asked me this question when I'm interviewing with a a potential client and especially if they're within my community, like the area where I live and then, you know, a couple cities over communities over, they'll say, how difficult is it for you if you're working with two or three clients within this area and you might be submitting an application to the same foundations? That's a good question. That has happened to me. It happens to me with my international clients as well. And I know that that can be very daunting for them. And I'll tell you what I do is I try really hard not to use the same phrases. And I kind of keep track of that. I look at my work over and over again. But I also try to tell them that it is really not about me. I am a grant writer. I am working with many different clients. I present myself to foundations as a consultant and I tell them that this is my role up front when I call and I I'll, I'll call foundations and ask them, what are they looking for? What are they, you know, get to know them myself. And I will be very upfront with them. This is, these are some of the clients I'm working with and these are the projects, you know, but it is about, again, you have to put that responsibility back on the client. This is their work. 
It is your mission and it is your responsibility even to call, even to call that foundation. Say, hey, we're working on this. Let them hear from you. That's why it is, again, so important for them to read the work I send them. And I think half the time they don't read it. They just, is it ready? Can I sign it? Is it ready to go? Right. Did you get that sent in? Did you get that sent in? And I'm like, I don't ever send them in. You have to sign it and send it in. Right. I think that that if I know, when I look at this case for support that I was just talking about from this client, it was written and it sounds like them because they put so much into it. And there were many things that they would say to me, no, you know, not this, not that. And then, and, and I can look at another one that they might be doing a little bit similar things and I'll look at it and it reflects them. That's my goal as a writer. My goal as a writer is that it reflects my client, not me. Right. And I'm sure I have a certain style and I'm, and I'm very passionate. I'm very emotional, not emotional crying, but I mean, I'm, I, I have a lot of emotions for these children who are, especially kids. I mean, kids just, mm. yeah. Yeah, me too. Seven. Some causes just get you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I see what my grandkids have. I see what food they get to eat. And I see how many Christmas presents they get. And it's hard for me to think of these kiddos in other countries that don't have basic care. Mm -hmm. So yeah, those, those tug at me, but I want it to reflect. So my emotions can get really into that when I'm writing, but I want, again, I continually want that to reflect my client. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you the fun clients, the good clients to work with, they're on board with you Mm -hmm. and they will look at the work and they will be honest with you. And there's no lost love. If they tell you they don't like something you've written, you take it out. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's a good way to look at it. You have to separate that. It's not personal. It's about helping their organization ultimately carry out their mission and do their work. It is. So yeah, you do have to remember to separate yourself personally from that. You have to put yourself into it, but also separate from it from the outcome. Right. Well, what I was going to say is that's why, again, putting it kind of back on the client though, that's why it is so important for them to have something written down. It's like running a business. I mean, I think about Hobby Lobby or any business, you know, enterprise, car rental, you know, they have a business plan. They have a business model. And that's what I try to tell my clients is that you should have something written down. You you know, you have your mission statement and you have this idea to do something, but you should have things written down of how you want to articulate that for funds. The other thing I was going to say about the case for support, it's not only an incredible piece to use for your foundation um, grant applications. You, you, You can use this document with any donor. You can take the information that is in that and you can create even a one page bullet point. This is what we're about. And you can hand it to any potential major donor. Good point. Have a capital campaign. You use your case for support. And that's why I loved about what you said, that it is a living, breathing document and it's going to change. So you write a case for support now and five years from now it needs to be reviewed it needs to be are we doing that are we following through with is that something that needs to be taken out of what we're doing because that's really not 
important anymore. Right. I think it needs to be updated often as your statistics change, but it needs to be reviewed at that higher level less frequently, but it's important to come back to that and look at that. It is. It is. And again, that goes on. I think you asked me earlier what I could tell a nonprofit. I think that nonprofits have got to understand their responsibility. I know that many of these, especially the smaller nonprofits, and that's what I tend to work with a lot of. And I'm happy with that because I love what I do. But I think at some point they have to have that responsibility or that idea, that, that understanding that they do have a role in it. They're wearing so many different hats and I get all that, but just take the time with your writer, take an hour with them and you will be amazed at what that writer can do. If you just give them that time and then you schedule in those times. I had one client that we, we literally just scheduled in a weekly connected, you know, we just spent some time on the phone together, you know, it could be every two weeks. They have to be invested in that with you. Right. Because the writer needs to know what's happening on the ground, what changes have come up, what issues, what struggles do you have now that you didn't have even two weeks ago or yesterday, (laughs) something new could have happened this morning that you didn't anticipate. And it affects what we are writing on the other end of things. So that's true. And from the nonprofit side, you don't have to spend hours upon hours with your grant writer. It's kind of that handoff of you need to hand off that important information and what's happening. The grant writer can take it and run with it. But if we don't know, we can't do that. So you're not, yeah, it's not a huge time commitment, but we need that. Yeah, we do need that. And and it, it is, it simply is give me something. Give me something that I can work from. Right. Because I can look at, I can research on my own and I can look at some really good evaluation plans that ask the questions that I can then write a good evaluation plan for you. But I have to know if this is what you're going to want to do. Right. Are you going to send out um, questionnaires to your constituents? How are you going to gather that? What are you going to track? How are you going to gather that information? Is this practical? Give me a few nuts and bolts, and then I can read some really good evaluations, and I can incorporate that into what you're doing, but you have to start with something. It's like baking a cake. If all you have is beans, you can't make a very good cake. But if you have flour, sugar, some of those basic ingredients, we can do a lot with a little bit of information. That's exactly right. One of the other things I want to say before we go off is that, and I think this is an important point because it is grant writing is um, a small piece. I think they say there's five pieces that should be included in your for your resources and your funding efforts. And help me if it's, it's um, fees for goods and services, um, major donors, you know, monthly donors, grants, Bequests, money, legacy gifts that people don't always think of. And another one that I, and I may not be hitting them all, but one of my clients, and it's really impressive that she does this in Uganda, is she has economic development programs there within Uganda. She has one for the women and she has one for the men. And these women 
earn their own money through this economic development program and they send their children to school and they buy their own homes and they support themselves when their husbands may not be there. Widows. I love that. It's helping them make a life. And and then men, the boys, are now involved in their own and they can put themselves through school. It's all economic development things that need to be done there. But it's remarkable. It's using the resources that they have there, and they've created these incredible sustainable programs. And that I just think is remarkable. And but grant writing, what do they say? Is like twenty percent of your yeah should just be a small fraction. Where sometimes people flip it and think it should be the other way around. Right. But even if you think about, you have a two hundred thousand dollar project. So ten percent of that, what is but that's $20,000. And then you you get funding from other donors, but that's $20,000. To me, that is a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you can do a lot with it. And especially in the third world, you can really stretch that. You can do a lot with it. In there, you can do so much more. Right. Well, what you're saying, the economic development piece, to me, that is foundational to the cultural changes that you were talking about of breaking those cycles of poverty and abuse and trafficking. That's where it stems from. And that's how it's going to help people not just handing out money, but actually helping them make a living and build a skill and a trade and a life for themselves. And the confidence that they gain. Yes. Education for their kids. I did this. I did this to get myself to here, you know, and, The other thing I want to help nonprofit even understand is in the beginning with your grant writer, say you're starting in your program, it does take time to gather the information for your writer. It takes time to go through and develop a case for support. That is a big chunk of what I work with my clients on and with a contract with them, a financial contract. That's a big chunk of where we start. But now a client I'm working with Again, the client in Uganda, I swear she's my model client. I love her. We're doing very little reinventing of the wheel at this point. And she's getting foundations asking her to submit because they love what she's doing. So because we have that information, her programs haven't changed. Her model hasn't changed. Numbers have changed. This has changed. That might change. But It's a monthly sending out what we have. It's not a huge expense to her anymore. She asked me where she wanted to keep her budget right now. I honor that. And that's what we work with. And we could, but in the beginning, it does take time and an effort on both parts. It is a commitment up front. It's a commitment. And the biggest commitment and expense is up front, finding those foundations. Now I have lists of foundations that I can go back to and help Julie with. Right. Because I know which ones match. And then if a project comes up, but it doesn't have to take hours and hours of my time or her time because she's organized. We have the narratives written and we can respond. And it makes your job much easier on the grant writing piece. And she knows what to expect that will be in the grant application, even though it's different, you customize it for each one. 
she has an idea of, okay, I can trust that you're going to include what's in the best interests for us. Right. And she does. And now Julie does look over things and she will tell me this changed or that changed, which I so appreciate. Yes. It's much, the beginning is just like what you said that you do the strategic planning with nonprofits to help them even get to that place. I think that nonprofits do need to understand that there is that place. There is a place and that place is I'm competitive now for grants. Mm-hmm. If they understand that groundwork, that it's not as glamorous or fun, or you don't see the money results right away, right. but you're going to go much farther, much further with that much further. Right. Yeah. And yeah, just to encourage new grant writers, those ideal clients are out there. Yes. So you don't have to settle for the ones that you're having to chase down or fight for information. Right. Look for those ideal clients. Yes. This has been so good. So I just want to recap. You primarily work with faith-based mm-hmm. international nonprofits that are housed in the U.S., for their home base, but they have international type mission work or some sort of organization that they're supporting overseas. That is amazing work. I love it. And I do, that is a lot of what I do. I work with local clients as well. I just finished writing a, a very large collaborative impact grant for our community and we were awarded a nice award for that is congratulations. The whole focusing on the, um, poverty, poverty, children and families. And so that was a really fun project. So that's so rewarding. It's so rewarding. I love the international work and I love helping them get to the place. But I, yeah, I love working with anybody doing good work, (laughs) which is silly because that's what we tell them. I'm doing good work, money. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of hard because people do, nonprofits are doing good work and they're so excited about it and passionate, but yet sometimes they just kind of need to set some basic steps first before they can jump into those more advanced pieces. Absolutely. So tell us where can we find you online if people want to connect with you or send you a message? And Yeah. My um, email address is klhgrants at suddenly.net. And um, I do have a web page that is evolving. It's a work in progress, but I will give that. It's klhgrants.net. You can connect with me there. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here today. This was so good. and So many great takeaways. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Teresa. Thanks for having me. I've loved it. If you're ready for the fast track to grant writing, don't wait. Spots are starting to fill already and space is limited. Go to TeresaHuff.com slash VIP to see all that we'll be learning. We'll do a deep dive into grant writing and setting up your career for success. These eight weeks can change your life and the world. If you love this show and you learn something new about being the type of grant writer the world needs so you can create a ripple in your community, please go leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts today. Thanks for listening. Now go change your world.